Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It is Thursday, February 9th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm joined today by U.S. reporter Jacob Magid and New York reporter Luke Tress. Hello, good morning to you both. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Hi there. We'll speak today about the U.S. administration vis-a-vis Israel following visits from several senior administration officials, as well as a meeting of U.S. Congress members with Jewish leaders in New York. There's also the trial of Malka Liefer, the ultra-Orthodox school principal in Australia, accused of sexual abuse, which has finally begun following a long delay. We have on-site reporting from Turkey, where Israeli teams are helping in the rescue effort, and Judah Ari Gross is there to give us a report. Before we jump into it all, let's take a quick break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachek's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. We're back. Let's first hear from Judah in Turkey. Hi, I'm here with... um one of the doctors from the United Hatzalah. Um, can you introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Itai Basel. Uh, I'm a doctor in Maccabi Shultai Buyut in Israel and uh, in Hadassah. And I do my reserve duty on Home Front Command in Chilutz and Hatzalah of the South region. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're here um, outside Marash in southern Turkey. Um, can you say a little bit of what you were working on yesterday? Well, we got here through a, a, a United Hatzalah a delegation that came with the, two doctors and paramedics, a rescue team and other a, necessary, necessary professions like a, social workers who are helping with a, us and the people here in Turkey. We all came here to help with this awful disaster. There's uh, just unbelievable wreckage. And uh, what we did during the day was finding indications of people trapped that are uh, living and attempting to rescue. There were huge efforts uh, by the rescue team. They were uh, helping to rescue a person that was uh, later uh, completed. The rescue was completed this morning and uh, we worked throughout the day and in the evening we were called uh, to help with the final extraction uh, extraction of another, of a woman, of a young woman who was trapped for two and a half days and she was treated for the first 12 hours of the extraction by the uh, 
home front defense uh, uh, medic medical team. She was treated by a, a paramedic at that point, and he uh, requested the doctor present for the final extraction. Then we came, our team for United Atzilat to help. So at that point, they'd already reached reach her and were just working to sort of get her out um, from beneath the, the building? Yeah, that's right. They were, it was the fourth floor, but it was actually only on the ground floor at that point. And they were, they have been working for 12 hours to reach her and to uh, extract her after they were doing another complicated extraction on that same floor uh, near there uh, for the first half of that day mm -hmm. and uh, the extraction was extremely difficult it was a difficult area to reach it was like a, they dug a hole in order to go under and get to that woman and there were uh, uh, not sure exactly what was the right thing to do to release her from under the element she was buried under and uh, that's what I was that's what I was called to assist with uh, I suggested we dig from under her and then release her a little bit mm -hmm. then we could move her she was a very brave and extremely brave woman uh, she helped us she told us when to do what she was saying don't do wait 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 three two one go 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 and she yeah. was encouraging the team not to stop and to continue the extraction it was amazingly brave and she uh, after quite a long time they were able to actually release her and extract her uh, she she was stable throughout the uh, train uh, the transport to the hospital I, I, I took another um, one of our medics mm -hmm. uh, Yossi Amal and we both uh, went with her to the hospital in the ambulance and we took her to the trauma unit where she was uh, treated and sta uh, remained stable throughout the extraction uh, she was treated on the ambulance as well and in the hospital, she was uh, transported to, to the uh, OR when we were uh, leaving. She was still stable, and as of this morning, she's been treated and she's uh, remaining stable. There are several elements to the injury. One of them is the exposure injury, the prolonged uh, time under there, just in full contact with the freezing ground. Uh, the medical team of the Home Front Command was uh, doing everything they could to keep her warm, to keep her hydrated, which is extremely uh, uh, important in crush injuries because she w was crushed by a huge element that actually the whole weight of the f several stories above her just leaning on her hip, on her thigh. And... Uh, she was the, the crush injury to her left leg was extensive and she also had some uh, injury minor more minor injuries and wound infections mm -hmm. that she was uh, she had to get treated treatment for you said this is your your first time on one of these delegations um, how is it been for you how has it been for you sort of personally to to see this 
as a doctor, I'm a pediatrician and uh, I did my uh, uh, specialty in Adasa Atsofim and you do get a lot of individual patients who are uh, severely injured but seeing uh, so many uh, injuries at once it's just overwhelming it's a, a huge disaster beyond what I imagined before coming here um, in my training I, tra I train in the uh, home front command as an extraction team uh, do uh, doctor as a physician of the extraction team so I do have the training but Training is one thing and being a part of this is just a whole different thing. I, I'm learning here a lot uh, to come and pass this knowledge to the people I work with back home to prepare them for anything that might happen at home where we are uh, uh, in charge of giving treatment. Thanks, Judah. Stay safe out there. Let's get back to the rest of the podcast. Jacob, you've got a long list of pieces here on the site right now um, having to do with the U.S. and the Biden administration pushing for calm in Israel. Um, there is a push for pause on settlement building, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu bowing to international pressure on raising a Palestinian apartment, the Biden administration pushing Palestinian President Abbas to boost their security presence in the Northern West Bank, warnings about Ramadan approaching in late March, and the director of the CIA career diplomat, Bill Burns, who is saying that the current tensions in the region look a lot like the violence of the Second Intifada. Where to start? Yeah, let's start uh, where you left off about uh, the CIA director, Bill Burns. This is someone who's a longtime State Department diplomat. He's held senior positions in the Obama, Clinton, Bush, and now Biden administrations, including as ambassador to Russia and deputy secretary of state. Um, but most importantly for our purposes, he was also Assistant Secretary of State for Near Eastern Affairs, so focused really on the Middle East um, during the Second Intifada from 2001 to 2005. And he made a comment to, he spoke in front of Georgetown School of Foreign Service last week and was asked about the current realities in the Middle East. And he said that after having meetings with Israeli and Palestinian officials, um, he'd just been in the region days before, that he said, I'm concerned that a lot of what we're seeing today has a very unhappy resemblance to some of the realities that we saw then too. And he was referring to the Second Intifada. Um, and he said he left his meetings with Israeli and Palestinian officials days before, feeling that there was a real likelihood of even more violence. Um, and this has been the main focus of the Biden administration's foreign policy initiatives for the past few weeks with uh, U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and then a week later, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken going to the region and speaking to Israeli and Palestinian leaders on uh, various issues. But this rose to the top of the agenda given the, the growing violence um, and they're trying to push this, both sides to take steps to um, lower tensions. I think they've circled again the month of Ramadan, which is something I reported about um, a couple of days ago, in that they've done, they did this last year where they really feared how in 2021 the month really exploded into a, a major round of violence. Then there is they've tried to preempt those that violence this these past two years by urging the sides to take steps to prevent that. Um, and one of those 
proposals that Blinken specifically brought up was this notion that both sides take a pause, is the word he used, in various unilateral measures. So for Israel, this would mean settlement construction, settlement announcements and approvals, outpost legalization, as well as um, demolitions of Palestinian homes and, and evictions of Palestinians in East Jerusalem. That's on the Israeli side. And on the Palestinian side, he asked Abbas to hold off on any initiatives at the UN against Israel. The PA said it'd be a, it would agree to this proposal if Israel does the same. But also at the same time, they, they've already put forth a few proposals of the UN that you can't really stop at this point. So we're only talking about new proposals. So I think for them, it was a bit easier for them to accept this. While Israel said, we're not at all interested in any sort of settlement freeze. Um, what we can do is possibly limit the scope of some of what we're doing. There was a, for example, Netanyahu's office days later, ordered that the this demolition of a Palestinian apartment building in East Jerusalem, that that be put off. It was supposed to take place on Wednesday or on Tuesday. And then also the government informed the high court that it would not be demolishing this uh, Palestinian village of Khan al-Akhmar in the West Bank that's been a real flashpoint for the past few years, that they're not going to do that and touch it for at least four more months. So you have those two steps. At the same time, they've they've formalized a new uh, a new administrative focus on legalizing outposts, which is something that the U.S. is really concerned about, tug of war on, on how the, Israel, the Israeli government is approaching this issue. Um, but the U.S. is, I think, st- they have officials staying in the region still since Blinken's left, working with the sides to try to get them to um, take steps to instill calm. But I think the one official I spoke with yesterday just said it's a real uphill battle, given the, the various components. Okay, thanks for that, Jacob. So, Luke, that's what they're saying in Washington. But in New York, U.S. Congress members expressed support for Israel in a meeting with Jewish leaders. For instance, House Representative Hakeem Jeffries said in your piece that in a tough neighborhood like Israel, the only language people respect is strength. So tell us a little bit about that, uh, that meeting and what was the messaging that was coming out of there. So on Sunday, uh, eight members of the U.S. Congress from New York State were at a meeting with U.S. Uh, or with Jewish community leaders in New York City. It was hosted by the Jewish Community Relations Council, um, along with some local officials and city officials and then some foreign ambassadors. And uh, it included Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and, and as you said, House Minority Leader, New House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, so some high-ranking Congress members. And um, in this talk, they were just overwhelmingly supportive of Israel, uh, mostly talking about Israeli security, continued support for Israeli security and defense, Um some talk about Iran and a lot of talk about anti-Semitism in the U.S. So just kind of blanket overall support. There was almost no mention of the Palestinians. There were a couple mentions of a two-state solution, but there was no real criticism of Israeli policies on the ground. Um, settlements didn't get mentioned, I think, a single time. Um, the one exception to that was Gerald Nadler, who is a Jewish House representative from New York City. And he really spoke out strongly against the new government's judicial plans. Nadler, who said um, the, these plans from the Israeli government are really distressing. The, the judiciary and the system of checks and balances is fundamental to a functioning democracy. And he said, our alliance with Israel is rooted in democratic principles, and that will be endangered if these democratic principles are not adhered to. 
We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, Jacob will tell us about the trial of Malka Leifer. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll privileged to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. Okay, Jacob. So just to remind our listeners, we're talking about the trial of Malka Leifer, the ultra-Orthodox school principal accused of sexually abusing her students. This story begins back in Melbourne, Australia, really in 2000, over 20 years ago. She's an Israeli. She took the job in Melbourne. Allegations of sexual abuse began to surface eight years later. She was allowed to escape back to Israel before charges were filed until she was finally extradited two years ago. And now that trial has begun. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, uh, it's been a real whirlwind having covered this for quite a few years now. Um, So the trial started this week. We had the jury selection and then the opening statements, which the opening statements were on Wednesday and they were held um, open court. So the press was allowed to attend and report on them. And basically it started with uh, Lifer's attorneys pleading not guilty to 29 charges of various um, acts of sexual abuse, including 10 counts of rape. The opening statement saw the prosecutor, Justin Lewis, tell the court about how Lifer sought out her victims, which were three sisters, Jesse Ehrlich, uh, Nicole Meyer, and Ellie Sapper. And Lifer treated the girls as her favorites, Lewis said, and arranged regular alone time with them, including in her office, at her home, and offered private lessons to them. She also had this tendency to take advantage of their vulnerability and their ignorance on sexual matters, given that there was not really any sexual education in this ultra-Orthodox community in Melbourne. And according to the indictment, Lifer raped one of the students after inviting her home to sleep over for Kala lessons, which are a kind of pre-wedding etiquette class that includes sexual education. And and what she told one of the sisters at the time was that this was going to help her on her, on her wedding night, was a quote that the Lewis, the prosecutor, shared with the court. And another time she said, this was what this is what is good for you. In a subsequent incident um, that took place on a school retreat, Lifer shared a bed with one of the sisters um, and proceeded to get on top of her in the middle of the night and began abusing her, thinking that the another sister was in the room in a different bed in the room, was asleep, but happened to be awake throughout that whole ordeal. And um, just the, the, there was quite a very gory details throughout the, the opening session that um, came forward through, the, through Lewis. 
Um, like he also talked about how Lifer, one of the one of the sisters, had confided in Lifer about this very difficult time at home that her, her that the sister's mother had been verbally and physically abusive to the sisters. And Lifer ended up holding that against her, putting that over her head, saying that if you tell anyone about the abuse that I'm that I'm about the abuse that you're enduring and, and disclose it with anyone, I'm going to tell everyone about what you're what's happening at home. And this was part of this um, system that that Lifer used to gain control of the of the three sisters. Uh, it also included her kind of sh- showering praise and telling them that they were beautiful and that she loved them and tr- that she loved them like daughters. So this was a, a kind of a multifaceted approach to try to keep them under her thumb. And that was explained by the prosecutor in court. On the other hand, the defense denied all the charges, saying that none of these sexual acts took place, that there were various inconsistencies in the testimony given by the sisters to their their therapists at the time. And that, and then he made this point, which was kind of interesting. He said that a lot of the 21 of the 29 sexual acts, actually, they are they were old enough to consent was his argument so not saying that they happened but if they did happen they weren't they weren't illegal which was so it's an interesting approach that he took and he said that there's going to be a lot of test you've heard a lot possibly members of the jury about what about this case but i encourage you to try to keep an open mind and find my client not guilty so i in the next uh, couple of days we're going to have testimony behind closed doors from the victims themselves um this tra- uh, that's not going to be that's not going to be public, uh, along with all these details about what's been happening over the past few years in Israel. That's also not public. There's a gag order on that, but obviously that's all available if you go to the Times Israel website. Right, because she was she Maka Lifer was living freely in Israel for all those years. Right, but so this next this trial is going to take uh, six weeks, um, which is much faster. Even though she's been in Australia for now two years since being extradited, but um, there have been a few these preliminary trials to that found her fit to stand trial. Um, but but uh, I think we're likely to see a real end to this case, hopefully in six weeks. Okay, thanks for that, Jacob. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Jacob, for being on today's daily briefing. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks, Jessica. We will be back on Sunday with another daily briefing. Be sure to tune in on Friday for our newest podcast, What Matters Now. Be well, have a good listen, and have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.